scripture reading for this morning is found in Luke chapter 5, verses 36 through 39. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say, the old is better. Good morning again. It's good good to be with you. This is uh, the fourth time that I've been to LMCC, the second time that I've preached. I really love being here, and I'm excited to share what God has been teaching me this week. And uh, I, I want to just start with uh, a conversation that I was having with a friend recently. Her her she's Romanian. Her parents immigrated to uh, to the Midwest, you know, be- before she was born. So she's first generation. And she's having some difficulty with her family because they have a bit of a different system in the Romanian church. And she has committed the cardinal sin of the Romanian church, which I don't know if any of you can guess what that might be, but she is dating a non-Romanian. And this is, uh, this is significant for her parents. Her, her mother is, is, is alarmed. Her mother is, uh, is stressed. And uh, she was wondering sort of how to approach this, this difficult situation of, uh, of marrying, you know, uh, just a, an American mutt like many of us and, uh, and, you know, getting very serious with him. So I, I, was thinking about, I was thinking about that, this text, and I was wondering what it would look like for her mother, for her, her father, for God to do something new in their life. Um, they're, they're, her parents are believers. They have that as part of their vocabulary and at the heart of their life. And, and you know, the gospel really cuts ag- across every single culture. It says to us, there is no Jew nor Gentile nor Greek. There is uh, neither male nor female. And the, the, the gospel cuts across all of our sort of uh, racial preferences and our racism and our sexism and, and, uh, and w- has something to say into this situation. So I was, I was wondering and, and then praying with her and talking with her about what it would look like for Jesus to do something new in this situation. And that's really what Jesus is talking about here. That's so central to the heart of his message, is that he is always doing a new thing in our life. He's about renewal. He's about a, a new process. He's about new understandings. He's about leading us with hope into the future into something that's different, into something that's, that's a courageous new step for us. And that's at the heart of what he was speaking about when he talked about the new wineskins. So I want, to, uh, I want to look at this passage sort of through that lens and, and really ask us, what, does, what new thing does God want to do in this church, in this city, in each one of our lives. And, and, and I want to take a look really specifically and really deeply how Jesus brings about this teaching. Because a lot of us are maybe familiar 
with the, the, the saying or the expression, new wineskins. It's, uh, it's maybe not part of our cultural vocabulary, but it's something that's very sort of familiar and talked about, and, and you know what someone means when they say new wineskins. But in order to really understand at, at a gut level what's going on here, we have to know the context. Even, you know, the, the section of the Bible that this falls in, it, it says, Jesus' question on fasting. And, and so we, we have to understand what, where Jesus was, who he was with, and what made him want to say these things. So I want to look at really this whole section, not just the, the little bit that was, that was read for us. So Jesus is eating a meal with Matthew. And this, this passage is so important that it's in all three of what they call the synoptic gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three of the writers felt it was important enough to include it in, uh, in what they were doing. So he's eating a, um, a meal at, at the home of Matthew. And it's a, little bit, it's a little bit confusing because actually Luke says here that, uh, that he's eating with Levi. And that's just a little bit of biblical trivia for you. Uh, Matthew and Levi are the same person. Just as Simon and Peter are the new person, and it, it um, are the same person, and it it actually serves to to my point because sometimes when Jesus calls people, he gives them a new name, he gives them a, a new identity, he gives them something different to to live into and to walk into, and that's what's happening here. So he's at this meal with uh, with Matthew, and they're sitting down, and and Matthew is throwing this party, and he's you know with all of his old friends, and he's saying, I'm a follower of Jesus now. And all his tax collector friends are, are gathering around, and this is a very, a very sort of Jesus-y thing to do, right? He's, he's hanging out with these people that are not religious. He's hanging out with these people that a lot of the, the Jewish people think are, um, have betrayed them. They're sort of in cahoots with, with Rome, and with, uh, you know, they, they collect more than they should. And these are, these are non-religious people. And Jesus, at this point, a respected rabbi, is, is sitting down for a meal with them. And, and what happens is that they give him two questions. And Jesus gives them two answers. And then our, our parable about the new wineskins. So the, the questions that they're asking him are, are very foundationally religious in nature. And I'm, I'm using that term with a negative connotation. The, the religious leaders, they had a problem with Jesus. They, uh, they, they, were, they had a problem with him eating with all, these, with all these sinners and with these people that were sort of against the, the agenda of the rulers at that point. But did they, did they go directly to Jesus and ask him, you know, what, what the deal is here? No, they, uh, they, they did what, what we call 2,000 years later. They did classic case of triangulation. They, they go to Jesus' disciples and say, what, what's he doing this for? What's, what's going on? They, they try to go behind Jesus' back and say, what, what is the deal with your, with your rabbi, with your teacher? And Jesus overhears them. And, and gives, gives them this, this beautiful phrase. You know, it's not, the, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. And that's, that's his answer to them. And 
that leads them to ask another question. You know, why are you why are you eating with these people? Because back then to eat with someone was was really really significant. You know, I think today we might go out to lunch with a coworker that we don't necessarily get along with. You know, there's a group of people, whatever. It's sort of part of part of our culture. We might engage them, we might not. But back then, to eat with someone was hugely significant. It meant that you were welcoming them into your life. It meant that you were, you know, some some scholars say that that it meant that you were even approving of them or forgiving them. And so you can understand why the Jewish leaders would be asking Jesus, why, why do you approve of what they do? Why are, you, why are you breaking bread with them? Why are you forgiving everything that they've done? And Jesus responds to them with, with this, his second point. Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. And that gets under their skin even further. And we might not see it at, at first, but for them, bridegroom would, all these bells would have been going off in their head. Because this phrase bridegroom is just all over the Old Testament, all over the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea speaks of God as the bridegroom of the people of Israel. And so Jesus, in this little move, is, is equating himself with God. And is saying, I'm that bridegroom. I've come to break bread, to, to drink wine, to put new clothing on, on this people. And so you can understand how that might get under their skin even further. Isaiah 62, just one example. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. So Jesus, by, by bringing that up, by equating himself with this bridegroom, he's equating himself with God, and he's dismissing their, their old religion and their old practices, and he's giving them a new teaching. And that's when he goes into this parable of showing them what, what it really looks like and equating something that they all understand, they all agree with. This, it's this picture that's going to help them see what Jesus is really all about and the completely new system that's entirely different from what they've understood. So then he goes into these, uh, these couple of things. You know... He says three things, and it's hard to argue with them because everyone in that culture agrees with, with what he's saying. You know, you don't, you don't fast at a wedding. Nobody fasts at a wedding. It's, it's a party that goes on and on for days. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of families coming, coming together. It's singing and dancing and lively entertainment and, and, and all these things. It's a huge celebration. No one would... No one would fast. No one would miss out on that. And second, you know, no one, no one sews new cloth on an old garment. That doesn't make any sense. It just, it will rip apart. It won't last. And third, nobody puts new wine 
into old wineskins. And I think it's important at this point to, to note that Jesus isn't dismissing the Old Testament. He isn't dis, you know, he came, he said, I came, I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. But the, but the old thing that he came to abolish is following these rules, following these regulations in order to get to God. That's what he wants to abolish. He, he, uh, he, he doesn't have a problem with the prayer and the fasting. He, it's the motivation. It's the heart that's behind it that Jesus came to, to challenge. This week I saw on the news that an, an actress has, has left the religion of Scientology. And so the, this particular TV show was, uh, they had a, a person who was inside of Scientology sort of giving a perspective on the rituals and the, the regulations and the laws that, that, that make up the religion. And it was interesting to hear sort of that insider's perspective. And, uh, you know, it's someone that has also left, left that religion, so she has her own perspective. But as she was talking about everything that makes up the religion, that makes up this sort of spiritual system that they, that they are all seeking to follow, is that it, it reminded me of the Pharisees. It reminded me of the, the laws that they had to keep, the always wondering whether they were tithing in the right way. Do, do we have to give our spices? Do we have to give what's given to us? Do we, when, when do we have to pray? How do we have to pray? When do we have to fast? All these things... And always wondering, are we doing it the right way? Are we doing it in a way that's acceptable to God? So that when we meet Him, the scales will fall in our favor. And we don't need to pick on Scientology or on the Pharisees of the first century. This type of thing is present in every religion. This type of thing is is a threat in every human heart. We have just this propensity that's part of our brokenness that wants to check off the boxes, that wants to follow the rules, that wants to say, I did this for you, God. And that's what Jesus is saying, I came to, I came to do away with, I came to abolish. Jesus is saying, I'm coming to you. I'm bringing God's grace and love and mercy to you. How do you respond to that? How will you live in obedience and love as a response to that not because you're trying to get to me. And it's, it's, it's interesting. We shouldn't ignore the, the very last verse where Jesus says, and he, he's, he's referring to the Pharisees. He's pointing to the Pharisees. He says, none of you want the new wine. What he's saying is that all of you are sort of content to keep doing things in the way that you've been doing them. All, are you, all of you are happy to reach God through your rituals, through your fasting, through your extra prayers. And when I offer you this new wine, you're going to think, no, I'm fine. I'll, I'll drink what I've been drinking. I'm okay. I'm okay how I am. That's what he says to the Pharisees. And, and what that is, is it's a warning, and it's also sort of a mini-prophecy. Because if you, you know, you read the rest of the book, the book of, of Luke, 
and you know what's going to happen. The religious leaders are, are going to reject him. They're going to say, no, we don't, we don't want the new wine. We'll stick, with, we'll stick with what we've got. And the way that Luke explains this parable, these two metaphors of the clothing and the new wineskin, is just, is just brilliant. If you think of the whole book of Luke, it begins with John the Baptist. And he's coming to say, you know what? The, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is here. Repent and believe. This changes everything. This is a new era. Something different is happening. And then just two chapters later, we have this, where Jesus uh, continues to teach people what the new thing he is is doing. And then if, if you really look through the book of Luke, you see how his disciples come on board, how, how all these things happen. But then especially in the sequel that, that Luke writes, the book of Acts, you see the new incredible things that the people of Jesus do. You see the new era of the Holy Spirit. And you see new miracles, uh, new teaching, new life coming into play. Because instead of religion being about rules, and instead of the mark of faith being, being circumcision, Luke tells this different story. And this new story is about the free gospel. It's about the cross. It's about the Holy Spirit. And as you read the narrative, you see how, how expansive this new thing is that Jesus is doing. And we can really think about it in, in two ways. Jesus gives new clothing. That's what he's talking about with the, with the old patch on, on, on the new garment. He, he says to us, he says to the tax collectors that are surrounding him, you don't have to wear those garments anymore. You don't have to wear the robes of, of shame and disconnection and sin. You can put mine on instead. And Jesus' robes are of righteousness. His robes are of the king. His robes are of God and from God. Jesus' first sermon in the book of Luke, just a couple chapters before this, quotes Isaiah 61. You know, he said, The Spirit has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And right after that, in Isaiah 61, you know, Jesus went into the synagogue and he took the scroll and he opened it up. And so he's, you know, he's reading on this side and on that same that same area of the scroll, you find this beautiful passage. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Jesus is saying in this passage, the time of fulfillment has come. This is a new thing that I'm doing. I've come to clothe you in new garments. And the, the rags that you've been wearing of injustice, of sorrow, of bitterness and jealousy and envy, you don't have to wear those anymore. You can put on the garments of salvation, the robe of righteousness. 
And the, the robe that Jesus puts on his people reminds us that we, we are right with God. We're right with our neighbor. We're right with the whole creation. I have a number of British friends in the city, and they are all on pins and needles about this royal baby. They're so excited for, um, for this kid to, to come along. And I was thinking how, you know, from the time this baby is born, uh, he's going to be a, a stylish kid. I mean, you know, he's got the resources of the British monarchy on his side. Uh, they could have designer clothes for this baby, right? Um, you know, right from birth. And you'll always know it's a, it's a stylish kid. And then, uh, you know, one day, uh, he or she will wear uh, the robes and the crown of, of the king or the queen. I'm not sure if it's a boy or a girl. I, I think maybe it's a boy. So let's just say it's a boy. He'll, he'll wear the, the crown of the king, the king of England. And what Jesus is saying is that we wear those robes now. We wear that crown today. We wear the the robes that that Jesus wore. We're we're clothed in his righteousness. And when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And he's he's announcing to to the sinners that he's gathering with and to the religious leaders and to us this morning that, uh, that his clothing is is going to be put on us, that his robe of righteousness is going to be worn. The second thing that he's announcing is that sinners are welcome to the party, that the wine is going to flow for them as well, that, that this new wine is going to be mo- more than anything that we've tasted or experienced before. Verse 37 says that. And Jesus has been accused of hanging out with, with drunkards. You know, a, a wedding feast, a party has has wine. And and in those days, the wine ferments in, in wine skins so that it expands. And, and once the wine has been drunk from that, those wine skins, you can't use it anymore. All of them knew and understood that it, it's, it's stretched out. You can't put new wine in there. You need a different container. You need a totally different system, one that's, that's worthy for the task. And, and Jesus is inviting people to the party, saying, come, share this meal with me. Share the, the wine that I offer. And this is really foreshadowing the parable that he tells ten chapters later where the prodigal sons and daughters come. They come home. And the father puts a new robe on them, kills the fattened calf. Um, the, the wine is flowing. The party is happening. It's a, it's a new kind of thing. And Jesus is, rush, is ushering in this new era where his righteousness is, is put on us. And there's unexpected people at the party, forgiven people, forgiven by Jesus. And that, that last line is, is really haunting because as we think about it in our own lives, you know, sometimes it, it's tough to get out of our ruts. You know, they say you, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Uh, it's, it's hard for... You know, uh, my friends' parents to to understand, to think about how the gospel intersects with their culture and critiques it and, and speaks powerfully into it. We all have th- those things in in our mind that the the Holy Spirit wants to do something new with, it's to call us into something different. But the even when it feels like we we can't budge, we can't uh, 
We can't drop that habit. We can't um, work on our temper. We can't get along with that person we work with. The gracious invitation from Jesus is still there. And he, he just he holds out this question of, you know, what, what new thing will you let me do? What new thing at LMCC? What new thing in your life? What new thing in your office? That's the, that's the invitation, and that's how Jesus speaks to us this morning. There's, there's this deep human desire that we have for newness. We see it in our, in our desire for, for renewal, to put things back right. We see it in, in the, the obsession with, with youth and with, with new things. And all of that comes from Jesus. All of that comes from the Father. All of that is forthcoming through Jesus. I think that Jesus is doing something new in, in New York City. Uh, churches are springing up. Uh, prayer meetings are happening. Churches are coming together. And the body of Christ is, is working the, the invitation and the question is, what will we? What new thing will we? Will we ask him to do? Will we let him do, in our hearts and lives? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, what, what you are inviting us into always feels new. I don't know why that's how our minds work, but. You challenge us. You lead us into things that we didn't expect. We look back and think we never would have had the courage to do this five or ten years ago. But your Spirit is bringing us along. Your Spirit is leading us into new places, fresh places, fresh understandings of your gospel and of the church. And Lord, I just I pray something new and dynamic and fresh over your body here. I pray for your church in New York City that there would be fresh outpourings of your Holy Spirit, new Christians coming to faith, new things happening all around. Lord, thank you for being the God of, of new wine and new wineskins. May we drink deeply this day. In your name, amen.